0: Hello, and welcome to the Austin Art Talk podcast. My name is Scott David Gordon, your host. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and I do hope you're enjoying the interviews I've been sharing. The focus of this podcast is on the interesting and creative people of Austin, Texas. As always, my intention is to have meaningful and in-depth conversations that I hope will be of value to you, the listener. They certainly are to me. I really love doing these interviews, and hopefully we can all figure out together how to better connect and support our local art communities and create opportunities and success for ourselves through conversations like these. You might have noticed, unlike many other podcasts, this one has no sponsors. For me, it's a passion project that I create and produce 100% on my own every week. Please consider helping to support me and my continued efforts by becoming a patron of mine. Go to austinarttalk.com and click on the support tab to learn more. And if you really love an episode and have a feeling it might benefit someone else, please share it with them. It might be exactly what they need to hear. Thanks to those who follow and interact with me on Instagram, at Austin art Talk. That is by far my favorite social media platform. I post daily about local art events and try to support and share the work of previous podcast guests along with other interesting people, art, and podcasts that I find which you might enjoy. On to the rest of the show. Chris Cowden is the executive director of Women in Their Work, which for over 40 years has pioneered elevating and exhibiting the work of women artists from all over Texas. They have presented over 1,900 artists in all disciplines, dance, theater, music, film, and visual art since they started and have produced over 130 color catalogs with commissioned essays about the artists they have shown. They have programs to educate the public, and especially children, about art through various commissioned performances and many other exhibitions and events. They also provide fiscal sponsorship and technical support to artists in creating their work. Chris has to be one of the biggest champions of artists I've spoken with so far. She's really passionate about her job and getting people to experience, understand, and collect art. I love this conversation. I had been so curious to learn more about women and their work and about Chris and her job, and this interview does not disappoint. Here's Chris. Hey, Chris. Well, thanks for being on my podcast.
1: I am happy to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you feel like I've I've been coming to this gallery for years and you know I just recently read a bunch of interviews with you and I was kind of like really piqued my curiosity about you as a person but I'm also really excited to learn about and share with everyone more about women and their work because I feel like it's an organization that not everyone completely understands the depth and breadth of what you do and how long you've been around and the whole story so I really would like to explore that but you're the executive director yes and how uh, how would you describe that job?
1: I think it's someone who sits near a hat rack and uh, puts on very many different uh, hats. Okay. It's a very uh, multifaceted position, and yeah. I think most people that work in the arts that's would say the same.
0: And you like that? You yes. thrive in that kind of environment.
1: Yes, it is never ever boring. Yeah, it changes hourly. I mean, you're involved in something and then something comes up, some people come in, things happen. It's a very exciting, really is an exciting job to work in the arts, to be around art all day, to work with artists. It's a real privilege, actually. I feel really lucky.
0: No doubt. And so you're people are coming in, interacting with you, but then you're having to do a lot of outreach and go yes. out and interact with the world and try to yes. get funding and yes. do all kinds of things.
1: Because art is not widely supported in the United States. Mm. Uh, if you go to other countries, like in Europe or Latin America, you'll see how it, art is much more woven into the fabric of everyday life. And here, art is often kind of caged over in a museum or in a... White box of a gallery, yeah. and so people feel estranged from it. So one of my goals is to make people think about art as something that in their life could be in their life every day. Somebody would enjoy it, have in their life, because it is. It has been so enriching to me and the people that I know that I love to share that with other people.
0: Yeah, I had read something you said in one of your interviews that I, um, you said something about giving people permission to experience art. Like why do you think they need permission?
1: Because they feel like there's a rule. I mean, some people will come in and they'll say, "I don't know what it means," or "I could do this." And neither right. one of those statements do they feel comfortable with. They they feel that it has that there's rules here that other people know that they don't. Mm. And or they feel that it's some sort of gag, and they're in on the joke. You know, like, I could do this. (laughs) And so you could encourage them to do it. And I think there's so many different ways to experience art and to interact with it that if people could feel that they can have their own opinion, say, I just don't like this, and that is that is just such a good response. And then be free to say, I really like this. And yeah. to say there are so many different kinds of art for someone to say they don't like art. I feel that, that mm. they have some more experiences to have. Yeah. And I would love to do that, to yeah. to expose them to that.
0: Or even people's limited thinking around just how they're creative in their own lives and probably might even be artists themselves in some Former fashion,
1: right? I think being I think creative is a word that's very in vogue now, and I think that's a good thing. But I also would love for Americans, for our culture, to place art higher in our experience, daily life. Um, certainly, if not every day, certainly uh, frequently, because it opens up a different way to see the world, a different mm-hmm. way to enjoy it, a different way to think about it, a different way to be disturbed by it. Not all art is pretty, not all art is, is, is assuring or comforting, but that's a really good thing to think about things in a different way.
0: Yeah, to help people get a different perspective, a different yes. understanding of life and the world and help them see how artists are processing the world and somehow figure out a way to consider processing it differently.
1: Yes, or just enjoying it or reacting to it. It's, it's really fun.
0: Yeah. If you didn't work here, I'm wondering how you would go about um, having that kind of life that you're suggesting. Because I know I had read, I had read a, um, that you lived in New York for a while and you said that you went out every night and saw some kind of art performance or something. I did (laughs) almost the same thing when I lived in New York. I saw, I went to a lot of theater, but you know, that was kind of my thing when I was there.
1: I think, uh, well, I think we had the privilege of knowing that we weren't going to maybe always be in New York Uh, because a lot of times New Yorkers are the last to go to things because they live there (laughs) and they think, Oh, I'll go next week. So yes, I think, I think learning, I think you just learn so much of different, of cultures, of perspective, of thoughts, when you see different kinds of art forms or different artists in different eras and how, what they're dealing with and how they present it to you. It's very, it makes your life so much richer and more complicated and complex in a very good way. Kind of like a very, very thick, very nutritious stew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or something, you know, that's got all these these uh, large number of ingredients. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm It's not one song, one yeah, note.
0: Right. I'm wondering then, like, your kind of passion... For art, how does that how has that formed and shaped um, the evolution of women in their work? Or maybe we could even just start at the beginning if you want. Or you know, what what do you think would make most most sense to kind of acquaint people with women in their work? Should we start from the beginning or?
1: Well we can we can do a quick flyover. Yeah because we are forty one years old. Yeah. Well yeah, and we don't wanna <laughs> we don't <laughs> I have that don't much think time. we'll go minute to minute. <laughs> but but it it's so intriguing how the issues that led to its start are so present today and so relevant today. It's it's like we've come full circle in a good way and come full circle in a bad way. Um,
0: Yeah, I mean, I think about the conditions that were present in the 70s when it started being the genesis of the movement.
1: Yes, well, it was really a time, I mean, I was not involved with women in the work then. I was not involved with these movements. So I'm a learner like many other people um, or people that may be listening. In 1978, three women artists in Austin decided to take control of their careers, of their artistic careers, and create opportunities for themselves and for other people. And this was part of a nationwide movement for people of color, for women, for gay, lesbian, transgender, queer, to take control of their own lives because they were just shut out of all of the established venues, museums, theaters, all of that. So rather than just kind of Wail in the dark. They, you know, that yeah. old statement. You know, you light a match. You do it yourself, and it. So it was way DIY before DIY was yeah, <laughs> was yeah. commonly known as that. Yeah. But um, yes, artists took control, created, and and it was called the Alternative Space Movement. So in Austin, it started with these three artists, and they said, "Let's have a festival." And we'll get people together in all these different art forms. But we have some great organizations here, so let's work with them. And so, like, they brought the first or encouraged the symphony to bring the first woman to conduct the symphony, uh, the first woman director at Zach Scott, uh, various, they, all this was presented out at Laguna Gloria. They had mm-hmm. slides, and then we had just, you know, showing all the artists that had never shown anywhere else. And it was so successful. They were like, Twenty thousand people over. Th- it went from October till the end of November. I think it was a six weeks mm-hmm. festival, and it was hugely successful. I we thought, "Well, this is something people yeah. might want to do this." And so, because people didn't know, yeah. and so then that next year, and so in seventy eight, they had the first uh, visual art exhibit that had ever been held for women in Texas, mm. and it really took off. And from the very beginning, it it had this name, and it was "Women and Their Work," and at the time. It might have perplexed people. And even though 41 years old, old, sometimes it perplexes people. But it's really quite meaningful in the reason that it was founded and, yeah. and kind of inspires the organization that it came that art is work. It's not a pastime. It's not a hobby. It's a profession for people that should be paid like a banker or a plumber. And that women do it, too. That it is a serious profession. Because so many people viewed it as something that was just something you did on the side, something that that you should donate. (laughs) People still have this feeling that, you know, art should just be donated when it's people's lives. And so it was to try to address it as a profession. And so that's how it started. And over the years, it changed quite a bit. People's interpretation of women in their work. It doesn't have art in the name. So we set kind of a challenge to people. (laughs) And so for years... um, we would get calls from people thinking women in their work was a secretary school place. We they could get oh, secretaries wow. or place they could get maids. Yeah, uh, because that's what women and women did that worked. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the case for years, and then now it's or really for more than a decade. People would call and say, oh, are you an incubator? Do you help women start businesses? Do you mm, start up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's, so there's been that evolution. So that's, I think, a very interesting change to see.
0: Yeah, having to continually kind of educate people about it. Over yeah,
1: but just it kind of reflects what the general zeitgeist is. Like before, people would just assume that a woman working would be a secretary or a maid. And then now, well, it's a woman starting a business. So yeah. that's... A very interesting and good change,
0: but like you said, the challenges that were present, as you were describing them in '78 when they started the festival, they're still. Those are still things that. Yes. You know everyone's struggling with now.
1: I think women often aren't included in groups of in shows in. It's, it's much better than it was, but it's still surprising if you look at various, say, galleries in New York or exhibitions, large scale, important mm-hmm. exhibitions, that they're not women involved. Yeah. And for example, we, we were part of a, a grant from the Ford Foundation last year. It was for women art organizations in the country. And so they were going to present. There, there's this group called Grantmakers in the Arts, which is huge. All the foundations, public funders. I mean, it's everybody that gives money to the arts. And they had panels up and down the alphabet addressing every imaginable concept and group and theory. And there wasn't one panel on women. Whoa. There wasn't one panel on women. So we fixed that. We're going to speak to that panel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but that this is in 19 uh, – wait, 2019. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so even even people as enlightened as funders and and being so careful to be inclusive, mm. that category just slipped by. So that sometimes happens a lot. In yeah. very inclusive groups, but then they don't remember to include women.
0: It seems so bizarre to me. Maybe I'm just kind of clueless, or I don't well, know, it does. It does to us as
1: well. No, we yeah. didn't. We didn't realize it. I mean, we don't. I in the early days, we would cite statistics, and then that became a little less compelling. Mm. Uh but then I think when we when women in their work turned thirty, we we had the big panel discussion and thought, Well let's let's look at those stats and we were like amazed. Thought, well if we don't know that then the people at large don't. So anyway, it just made us more resolved to show the work of women because when when their work is seen, it stands and speaks for itself.
0: So what does the organization look like now? You I know, mean, like what are maybe kind of just describe all the different aspects of it, all the different Ways that you're in the community, or different initiatives, or you yeah, know.
1: we have we have a lot of different facets. In fact, we joke about women in the work as the way people understand it is sort of like a blind man feeling the elephant. There, there's the tail, there's the leg, the yeah. ear. I mean, you have a totally different perception. We are probably most known for visual art exhibitions because we have an, a gallery that has ongoing shows, and we're open. Fifty some odd weeks a year, and you stop by six days a week. So in that in that role, we present artists and have focused on solo exhibitions. Um, although others group, not not just that, but our goal is to help artists take their career to the next step. However, they define that, mm-hmm. what they want to do with their work. So we pick artists. Who apply through statewide call. We pick them for what they have done, but we encourage them to make brand new work. So we take a big risk because we want them to make something new when they apply. They may not know for sure what they want to do. So we want to ensure their success. So we provide them with a curatorial advisor of their choice to help them talk through technical or aesthetic issues. We commission a writer to write about their work. Mm. Um, We publish a catalog, a color catalog that uh, we give out to people coming in the gallery and also put on our website. We have a a videographer, a professional videographer, who interviews the artists for about a six to eight minute talk. And then we give them 1,800 square feet to to go to work. (laughs) And so all of that really... And then we mail these to galleries and museums around the country to really... Uh, draw attention to the work. So it's an existing document, plus it, it lives online. So mm-hmm. it's digital as well. But um, that's a really good document to look at ha- Look at their work and what it meant and what they were dealing with, how it fit within their own careers, their own uh, work, and then how maybe it fits within the larger scheme of contemporary art. So that is visual art. We also commission performing artists to make new work and to come and perform. And we collaborate um, with a lot of different organizations, primarily in performance, we, we present with Fusebox. Oh, yeah. They have such a great audience. And so we have commissioned um, – our next artist will be Autumn Knight, um, who lived in Houston. She now lives in New York. She had a big show. I had a residency at, in the Studio Museum of Harlem, and she was just in the Whitney Biennial. So she's on a, a real career trajectory, really yeah. rising. And so she'll be presenting new work next April. And we've also joined with a number of groups to commission Giselle Mason, who teaches dance now at UT. Mm-hmm. So, And that'll be next year. So there's the performing aspect as well. We're also having a number of performers here in the gallery in, at the end of September. Um, so we also have performance in the space, hmm. although it's a challenge because it's, it's not technically set up yeah. for that. But But we do that as well. We have a really big education program. Uh, We reach um, over 750 kids a year. And we pay for the bus to bring the class. And we pay for a substitute teacher so the teacher can come with them. And so they come and see the work. And if the artist is available, to talk to them about the work. If not, we have staff that are artists that talk about the work and how it was made. And we're providing this service but frankly the kids give us a bigger service because the kids are so open and they don't know their rules about art and they're not afraid and they don't know that this has to go over the couch, and it has to match. Yeah, and so right. <laughs> if it's if it's a pile of sticks in the middle of the gallery, they are thrilled about it, and they are so intrigued and want to know about those sticks, uh, as opposed to some of their parents who might come in and say, hmm, I'm not sure that's art. And it's really a gift that they give to us. Yeah. Um, so we bring them, and so it it also addresses the tax test and Hmm. star I mean you know the various because art is actually part of that so Mm -hmm. there's that so we go we start from really small kids first second grade and up through high school and then we also have a project that we collaborate with the AISD it's called the go project where kids that have disabilities um, that have graduate they graduate from uh, AISD and then you know come on the buses and by themselves or or with people that help them with the project and so these um, we have art activities for them that are specifically for their group for the go projects so we Hmm. reach a whole other population that way yeah um we also serve as fiscal sponsor for over 30 artists right now and in our history we've reached 350 artists um and what that is is Often artists can't receive funding because they're not a 501c3, they're not a nonprofit, mm-hmm. and so we act as that, and it's called like an umbrella organization, yeah, a fiscal sponsor. So we allow artists to get funding or or help them get funding from like from the city of Austin or from other donors who want to make a tax deductible donation. So that's I how guess,
0: does that work exactly? Having why why is there the requirement to have a sponsor?
1: I think it has to do with accountability. Like for the city of Austin, the contract is with women in their work. And then we have like, I think, 24 or five um, artists that are receiving funding right now from the city of Austin. So we, the money is, the check is made out to women in their work, and then we make it out to the artist. So if anything goes awry, the city knows who's to call <laughs> and who to, who to hold accountable So that's another potential risk on our part. But frankly, we find that artists give back so much more. I mean, it's very, very rare that there's a question about not meeting. Like there has to be a match and they have to provide receipts and they have to do a project. So it's possible that that could be misused. But in my experience, that's very rare.
0: And the projects these artists are doing are not necessarily directly associated with women in their no, work. No, They're it's another service. Career. It,
1: it's really what the artist wants to do. Okay. So we work with any number of projects. Mm-hmm. So and a lot of men. A lot we provide services oh, for really? men yes mm, okay. yes nice. and men are also in performance and most of the visual artists we present are for women but we want women in the like the curatorial role the director's role the choreographer's role but we we present like in performance like a whole dance troupe is men and women yeah so it's inclusive
0: so you've got the gallery itself and the artists you support that way then you have also, performances and other activities that are outside of the gallery yes. and in, in the gallery. Then you have...
1: Education.
0: Right, the, and, with the children.
1: Yes, and we have fiscal sponsorship. And then we also have panel discussions, artist talks, JPEG jams. We used to call them slide jams. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that just to film screenings, book signings, poetry readings, spoken word. You know, lots, of, lots of different things that don't really maybe fall into a category.
0: And who comes up with these different initiatives and programs?
1: Well, it's a collaborative experience. We we do a call for entries, and so that brings us the artists that we present in a year, and we give them, we try to give them at least a year to create the work. Mm. So we do it in advance. So right now we're booked up through 2020. Mm. And so, so it gives them time because 1,800 square feet a, yeah a bit of a space. So yeah. we give them as much space as we can. And we also, People come to us, we go to them. I mean, it's very back and forth. There's not just one way, mm-hmm. but we try to present our goal is to be a really one of the most interesting places in Texas. That's yeah. what we say. Yeah. And sometimes I think we are. Yeah. Yeah. I think we are. Sometimes yeah. we're trying to make the bar higher, frankly. I mean, Texas is the third largest state uh, for artists in the country, but it lags so far behind New York and California as far as the. The services, the opportunities, the venues that exist for artists—it's better now. Um, like even in Austin, for years, the smaller organization and mid-sized organizations were so strong, and the museums were really did not have the funding they needed to fulfill their mission. They didn't really have an adequate space, like you know, Laguna Gloria. They had restrictions on what they could show in this in clara driscoll's home Mm -hmm. the villa and for years uh, the blanton didn't exist i mean it was the well i'm blanking no that's that's the contemporary i can't believe i'm blanking but anyway it was before it was the blanton it existed and it was in various uh places on ut's campus but it did not have the beautiful um space that it has now so anyway so the museums have come on really strong and they're Really thriving, and I think that's so essential for any city or any community to have this whole ecosystem mm-hmm. where and so they would be like at the top to show people art from all over the world and show local and regional artists. But you've got to have artists, you've got to have their shows and regional artists, and all of that feeds into it. It's just really a I think it's a, an ecosystem, and so for a long time, Austin did not have that and so we had the the top we did not have the top of this say food chain yeah and now we have a very developed top but now we're at risk of losing the bottom because all of so many artists and art organizations in austin are threatened now with losing their space and have an ability to pay for a space and we're among it our building has been sold so women and their work will need to move at the end of 2020. So we are planning on that.
0: To make space for a, a Marriott or something Yes,
1: like that. it is a Marriott. No yeah. joke. There's going to be three Marriottes within like a... There's one on, on MLK and one here and then one right down the street. So within three blocks, will be three Marriottes. Yeah. So I guess we've got a lot of visitors here.
0: I mean, what do you think it would take <clears throat> to make Austin a contemporary art center? Like Dallas or Houston or New York?
1: Or- well... You know, for the longest time, I mean, it, you've, you've got to have a lot of things um, to be an art center. There was a really great article in The New Yorker um, a while back. At Calvin Tompkins wrote about what you needed to have. He was actually analyzing L.A. and Los Angeles was not a center f- for nearly as long as you'd think it yeah. is, given its stature now. But you've got to have artists, art spaces, writers, collectors, museums. So we didn't have museums for a while, and we are still struggling with collectors because so many people feel like they need to go to Houston or they need to go to New York or yeah. they need to go to Santa Fe to buy art. <laughs> and so when they hear, they don't realize, wait, there's really strong art here. But some of it's just an insecurity. Oh,
0: really?
1: And um uh, Yes, because it just seems
0: like if someone's an art collector, if I lived here and I had the money to collect art, I don't know why I wouldn't be into the art scene here and be f- trying well, to figure out who's here and well, what's, one would what would they have. Except
1: it's just it's people. It's just a funny thing people's view of art. Like we had a a man come in here. We had a show of an art of a photographer last year, he came in and he was on the phone and it was really annoying. He was talking and on the, you know, how people do. Yeah. And so everyone else is sort of invisible. He's on the phone, walking up and down the gallery. And then he walks in the door and he says, you know, I'll take those three, those three photographs shipping to Los Angeles. And we said, do you know this artist? He said, no, no, well, just like it. And so he, he yeah. now that doesn't happen probably very many places, yeah. but, but that kind of sense of, I like it, I want it, I'm going to get it. And some people might like it and they might want it, but sometimes they pause about the getting it. So I think that's something that would really help Austin if more people bought art, because then it allows artists to have a career, have a, sell their work, which is what they want to do. And some of that, again, is education, is what exposure is and what they've been brought up with and what they see. And so I think the fact that we have two strong museums and some commercial galleries, but not very many. I mean, for yeah. the size of Austin. So we need more commercial galleries. But to be exist, they have to sell. So again, it's kind of back to that. And I think we're slowly making progress. But many people, if they think of Austin, you know, they're going to think of music. They're not going to say, yeah. oh, that art space. So we would love to be there. Yeah. And we are we want to do that. We want to draw attention to Austin. And we've actually been really successful, women in the work, bringing attention to Austin and to Texas. We were the first art organization in Texas to get a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts in visual art mm-hmm. in Texas. Yeah. So we kind of got on the map that way. And we've got, we were the only organization, I think west of the Mississippi, that got a grant from uh, the Robert Rauschenberg Foundation. There were eight of them. And that's where we got the initial funding to build... Thirst to present thirst the oh, yeah. tree that was on Town Lake yeah and that that was hugely successful we got that through Robert Rushenberg, Mm-hmm. and who never heard of us never seen us you know sent people down with furrowed brows to interview us yeah. to be oh, sure wow. is this really <laughs> going to happen and and um, it was it was a really um, very heartening experience and that was first mm. our that was our first large scale public art and I think it was a very Effective and very successful. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, huge visibility in, yes. in the city. And
1: it got reviewed. Um, it was on in the Huffington Post. It was in the Atlantic. It was on Canadian, the CBC and the Canadian Broadcasting Company. And it got a lot of attention um, and called attention to the water crisis uh, uh, yeah, in Texas. Right. That was the point of it. So right. that was really a, really a great synergy. And it was an inductive process. We talked to. The idea really first came. It, we worked with Emily Little and, and Norma Yancey, architects. Bailey Lou, the visual artist, and Cassie Bergstrom, a, a landscape arc architect, to develop this concept. Uh, and Bailey Lou's thought was to put this tree in the lake, and then to how that came to be. And to we had over. 40 meetings with city hmm. officials <laughs> the and city wow. agencies and neighborhood organizations and environment organizations and the rowing clubs you know to be able to do that wow. and <laughs> and there there was a terrible drought and then we had two floods two floods while that tree was up so oh, it wow. actually it really worked but in a way it didn't because the rained here and it As people know, or in the know, it needs to rain upstream in the watershed to get the water into Austin. But still, nonetheless, it rained very strong. There was actually a horrific flood, the Halloween flood that people died. So that was quite a kind of an irony, but did call attention to the vagaries of the weather and how we have to pay attention to this resource and Mm. how we take care of it.
0: I'm wondering if you could um speak to just funding because you mentioned that a little bit like how do you think about funding and I know that you worked in some other financial fields previously I think and you probably have some opinions about money and
1: Well I think um if someone says why are you successful I would say I'm an English major.
0: Oh, okay.
1: (laughs) You know, that's the first thing they talk about doing away with is English major. And I think it's one of the most important uh, backgrounds to have uh, to write and to to be able to to communicate, like you say. Um, We write grants. I write grants to foundations, to any and all, to companies, to government funders. We have two events a year. One coming up. Yeah. we have a we have a event in the spring called the Art Bash, which is just so it's we've done four of them and they've been usually. Hugely- Fun and successful, um, and then in the fall we have uh, it's called Red Dot, and that's a, a reference to an art sale. When something sells, They often put a red dot on the wall, so that's where that came from. And that's coming up the twelfth of September, so people listening can this year and then put it on their calendar. It's always like the right the week after Labor Day in September. Yeah, and it's about like a hundred and fifty artists in every kind of media: painting, photography, sculpture drawing, every every media that you can imagine, every style, and it's all less than $750. So it really is much more affordable than some other venues. So it really gives people a chance to start collecting or to add to their collection. And they can come in and see this huge range of work and say, yeah, I I like that.
0: And the artists are... They essentially get to choose how much of the yes. sale they yes. want to donate.
1: We, yes. They, well, we ask that they give that they can take 40%, 20%, or make 100% donation. So if they sold in a gallery, often the most they would get would be 50%. So mm-hmm. it's pretty close to that Yeah, if that's what they want to do. Yeah. And with art sales, uh, like artists showing here in the gallery, we only take 25% of sales. So they get 75% of our exhibitions.
0: Mm-hmm. Which makes me want to ask you, you know, because we've talked about selling art or someone just comes in and says, I want to buy these. Like, how do you think about the saleability of art? Because, I mean, I've definitely seen art in this gallery that probably wouldn't be for sale or wasn't made to sell. You know, like, how do you think about, like, how artists approach art and whether they're actually thinking of, like, whether they're trying to make a living and sell something or whether it's just for the sake of expression or... You know, it's like the tree in the river. It's not for sale, but it, it rose awareness and it had a purpose.
1: Well, I think that's one of the uh, main distinctions between women and their work in a for-profit gallery is we do not place any sort of premium on saleability. It's all up to the artist. If they want to do an installation that could never be anywhere but in this room, then that is fine. That is so we that's why we don't rely on sales to fund ourselves. I mean, we love it when things sell. We And when artists want to sell, we certainly want that to happen. Uh, We certainly don't discourage it, but we don't require it. And so that's the main distinction, I think, between us and a commercial gallery. And what that does, it frees artists to explore things that they might not have tried before or to. Push their work a little further, go in a different direction. So we try to take that funding burden off of them, so they're not making it to think about selling. And to tell you the truth, from what I, from where I sit, and yeah. and I maybe shouldn't say this to many thousands of people listening, <laughs> but I, I, hope so. I don't know why some things sell and other things don't. Ah. I don't know, and it's it's hard to chase that. I don't. I think I I don't. I mean, some things clearly are meant for an installation and it would not work anywhere else. But it's it's somewhat of a mystery, especially in Austin, where people are so hesitant to buy. Yeah. So in a way, it's, we're in a great place. So we don't have to. That's one problem we don't have.
0: Well, how do you feel, though, about the artist who's pretty adamant that they would never make work with the intention to sell it. Maybe it's just because it's about making the work. It's not about selling it. I mean, but then there are people who really want to make a living. I mean, it's, I almost feel like sometimes it's like thought of as selling out if you're making work to sell or something, you Yeah, know?
1: I think that's strange. Uh, I un- I understand that thinking, but it, it it seems like it's up to the artist. And it's funny, the some artists try to stand outside of the capitalistic system. But it is such a strong system, it just steps back and puts a bigger arm around them. Hmm. Uh, well, for example, just a this is somewhat analogous. Um, Richard Serra is a sculptor. He makes massive sculptures. He was just in the New York Times this past weekend as being the most um, famous sculptor uh, working today. And his work is made in steel yards. It's that big, t- yeah. m- many tons. And so his point was to dominate... I mean, one of his, he has many points, but one of them is the scale, the sheer scale to call attention to what he's created. Some people say it's pretty macho, but anyway, very big. And so the Guggenheim in Bilbao built Richard, Frank Gehry built a atrium with Richard Serra's work in mind. And it's bigger. It's bigger than Richard Serra's work. So in fact, it has enveloped his work and yeah. it doesn't I mean it's certainly imposing it's certainly huge it's certainly large but it's not quite the same experience mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that's kind of a, a metaphor for uh. if you stand apart <laughs> if you stand apart then somehow the system will find a way to embrace you and, and I do think I mean saleability is just another whole different discussion but I think if artists want to sell their work I think that's wonderful that they want to sell their work and if they don't want to sell their work that's up to them and th- that's totally valid
0: yeah. Could you share any more thoughts about just what it's like to be in this space, to be around the art, to live with the art, to have it affect you on a daily basis in your life?
1: Yeah, well, I have a, I have a great comment that was made that I heard and I said, that is totally right. The filmmaker that made the movie Mozart, Igmar Bergman. Yeah. He, when he was making that movie, he talked about how glorious it was to come in every day and have Mozart's music in the studio. Mm-hmm. And so I really feel that way here. I don't, I don't, my office is not very large and I don't have a printer in my office. So I, and these days actually you don't print all that much, but still I go back and forth to get things I've printed from the back office. And so I walk through the gallery multiple times a day and sometimes I just stop and it's just when you walk through you just see it so differently because you're Mm. approaching it from a different angle or you're in a different mood or the light's different you're thinking differently about it so I think of that quote from Bergman yeah it just being around it all day it's such a joy even when it's tough even when it's hard you know you're looking at that and thinking well maybe maybe the fact that I was running late isn't such a bad problem (laughs) (laughs) when I look at what this artist is dealing with you know so it kind of puts your issues in perspective too even if it's really dark work
0: yeah and we're in your office here and there's art all around us i'm assuming from artists that have shown their work here
1: Mm -hmm. and others yes yes Mm
0: -hmm. is that the way your home is too that your life is just filled with art
1: and a lot of art
0: and where did you first gain an interest in art do you feel like in your life
1: I Well, I was raised in Springfield, Missouri. There actually was an art museum there. And I can remember going to this show called uh, Watercolor USA, which was evidently a major watercolor show. Uh, and I was struck as as a kid by how versatile, when I looked at my watercolors, <laughs> it was pretty watery. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so to see what other people could do with it. And it's, it's not necessarily an esteemed m- media, but it was quite intriguing. And I still remember it. But that, I really didn't have much exposure to art. When I went to New York, um, for the first time, I saw Twyla Tharp, uh, the choreographer, and she did this piece called uh, Deuce Coupe. Mm-hmm. And it was really, to my mind, it was about um, slang—the uh, art, the dance of slang, where the, the way ankles would be turned akimbo and elbows would be bent—and it was a very awkward, but you know, very deliberately so. And and it was just a revelation, and I just loved it. And I—that's when I was, you know, going out every single night to see dance and theater, and of course, I would see visual art too, but. Not so much at night, but um, that was really cool. And just, it's just sort of being exposed to it. So that's what I think a lot of people, they just haven't been exposed. And if they saw the the thing that they could just be, oh, this is so interesting. And then realize, I mean, I didn't at the time know that rules about dance or what this or that but I I loved it you know I just responded to it and that's I think really what what I would encourage people to do any kind of art form is just respond to it whether you like it or not I mean not liking it is a response a very good response if you don't want to yeah that actually
0: is something I was going to ask you like how do you how do you look at art like how do you interact with art process it I mean do you put a lot of intention and effort into that I mean I feel like it's so easy and I'm guilty of this it's so easy just to go to a gallery opening Kind of walk around the gallery, look at everything, spend the rest of the time just talking and drinking with your friends. And you don't really, like, sit down and look at the pieces and contemplate them. What is the artist trying to say? All that. I mean, it takes a lot of work. Um And I just, I wonder if you do that.
1: I don't know if openings are the best place because seeing people is, but but that's often the only, I mean, I'm I'm guilty. I mean, you go and you'll often not be able to see the art because there's so many people in the room, but that's, there's a community there and there's a sharing and I think that's valuable. It is important. So even if you're not seeing every aspect and hopefully you'll come back and sometimes you will. I think learning you can observe and see what the artist has done or what you think they're doing and then when you can read more about it then it opens it up. It just is another layer of complexity which I find really really interesting. And and I've I um have this really good friend who loves football so much so he knows where every senior football player is going to college. Oh wow. And he has files. <laughs> he has files of you know in UT when he and he knows everything. And so when I would go to a football game with him, I would note that it was a pretty day. The sun was shining. I would look in the uh, cat. What is it? The it's program. program. <laughs> yeah. Look in the program. Uh, enjoy all these people and people running up and down the field. And I do know the rules, sort of. And so I would know when you know we had a touchdown. No one would been thrown for a loss. Uh, And all of that. But he, on the other hand, knew what the four plays that could have been done and what was done. And he could anticipate. He could see that they should have done this or this is why it didn't work. And so his experience of football is way different from mine. And that's what I think about art. People, if you, it has gone back, it goes back to the cave dwellers. It is hundreds of thousands of years old. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, so if you study all those years if you study this and that so when you look at something you bring that to you to that experience you see more in the drawing in the painting in the sculpture than you would have if you had just shown up that first day and that's the first art you'd ever seen but your experience is the first art you ever seen is a valid experience and one you could enjoy just like I don't know all the everything that's going on in football but I went to the game and I liked it yeah. Sort of. Yeah. And <laughs> so, but it's a very different experience from somebody who knows a lot about it. So I think it's where do you want to fit into that spectrum? Mm. But it's not that you can't enjoy it. There shouldn't be any kind of barrier to anything. It's just what you see has a lot to do with who you are and what you've experienced in your life. And and it could be that you don't know one thing about, say, a sculpture, or you've never really been in a gallery. You've never really been in a museum, but you see this piece and it speaks to you and however it speaks to you and that's the way it works that's the way art works it, yeah it's a it's a visceral mm. it's, it it also it it is an intellectual but i think it's more emotional and and if you have a, a more um, say academic background or more st- that something that you're interested in and you studied it more then you see that too it br- brings it to you but both those either compl- very knowledgeable or Not knowledgeable at all. Both those are very valid and important experiences, I think, for someone that works in a gallery. I feel good about both those. And it's just when people, like, refuse – and it's funny. Art is, like, really important and totally unimportant at the very same time. I mean, Mm. people will say, this is ridiculous. Like, I'm being tricked. Or how do you know the artist was thinking that? You're just making that up. Uh, Then – And so it doesn't mean anything. But then, like things that have happened with Congress and the National Endowment for the Arts, it's like all of a sudden this has to be banned, this has to be suppressed, this has to be destroyed. So, art can immediately become so Mm. threatening (laughs) in the same almost in the same breath. So, it's curious that it's like so significant and so insignificant. Um, But
0: really, a lot more crucial than most people would admit. I think
1: so. I think so. So, um, yeah, it's pretty funny how people. Uh, can also also just, again, that just goes back to their not feeling comfortable or safe or have permission to just enjoy what they see. Because yeah. they feel like there's rules that they don't know them and that they'll be either feel stupid. Nobody wants to feel stupid. You don't want to feel ignorant, you know, and people can laugh at you if you don't know the rules to a, say, I don't know the rules to hockey. I mean, I don't know anything about hockey, Um, yeah. and I, but I know there are a lot of rules there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, And so, and I know if I, if I wouldn't ever say, oh, this is ridiculous, this, they're just running up and down. Well, yeah. yes, they are, <laughs> but they're also rules, right? But, but that doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it, right? Yeah. Or yeah. that it was up to me to learn some rules. I mean, see what I mean? I mean, it could yeah. be, so that's kind of what I feel with, with art that people should just, However they want to engage, they they could engage with it. But a lot of it just, to, did they want to look at it? Like say, well, have you ever looked at art before? Well, no. Well, well look at this. You know, you don't have to, it, it's not, it's, you're not born with it. Yeah. Nobody's born knowing a lot of these things. You know, rules to sports, conventions in literature, conventions in art. Yeah. So anyway.
0: I'm wondering if you could share any stories about how just working here or being around art and having a life in art has changed your life or maybe even just like a story about a memorable experience like being in the gallery and engaging with some art or a child that was visiting yeah. the gallery or something. I don't know, just something to kind of share.
1: Well, we did have a boy from, I think he was in sixth grade. Uh, he came over here on a bus with his class and he really engaged with the work and he started coming to the gallery and he'd bring his little sister who was like four mm. and and he would bring her to see the shows and he would come on the bus and he did that for years he would come and he got into the art institute of chicago oh wow and and he credits among many things but one of the things he recalls being brought here as a, a young boy and how it just lit a fire for him yeah that that's a really. Um, the, there's a lot of excitement with when kids are here. Um, and again, I feel like that's contagious. So we get that back from them. There have been some work, like the work that's in the gallery at this moment, Shayna Hone's work is very powerful. And she's dealing with the way women's bodies have been used throughout history, really. But what she's focusing on are Uh, ship ornaments and hood ornaments you know mastheads like sirens and you know the front of ships and and then the hood ornaments that were on all the cars in the 50s and 60s and how she's worked with those and it's really it's very moving like the way it's lit is was very significant to her and and the shadows actually she considers a drawing because there's another Mm. line on the floor a line on the wall and you can look at that and taking that in and so I think I I can think of, thinking back to dance, I remember seeing, this was American Ballet Theater in New York, they have a repertoire, and some of the pieces, and this was a Balanchine piece, and it was, you know, 20 years old, and when I saw it, I just thought, why is this still in the repertoire? This seems so, this just doesn't, doesn't work anymore, it's just really dated, and then, a week later, Baryshnikov danced that, danced that role, and I'd never, I, I just couldn't believe it, how... Hmm powerful it was i mean i it was the same piece it was the same choreography but it it just was infused with such meaning and i've never forgotten that how i had just thought this is this should be retired and yeah. then seeing an artist of such power and feeling dance that role and how so a lot of times art has to do with your own mood or who's like with performance it has a lot to do with who's performing. Yeah, but it's obvious i guess but yeah but with visual art sometimes it's about you <laughs> yeah. how are you alert to it or or how does it feel or does it speak to you in this particular way so there's a lot to see i just think it's it's it just keeps you kind of alert you can't not be curious and be around art i think yeah. it keeps you curious yeah you're, what is this? What are they? What are they thinking? What are they working with? What are they conveying? Or you can say, "Gosh, that's really amazing how they've done this." And I have to say, I think artists are extremely inspirational people because they are not valued. I mean, when you think about, you have to assert your role as an artist. You're not. It's not like when you think about professions that are valued in America. You know, artist doesn't usually get on the list the top 100 (laughs) and but but so if you are an artist and and so it's a it's an internal assertion that that I find really inspiring and I think it's really important for people to see how what you feel and how you translate that can have such value even when other people don't know it and maybe part of what you are doing is to uh, awaken them to knowledge that they did know it but they weren't aware of it
0: yeah why do you think it's so hard for artists to take ownership of even just saying sometimes I'm an artist or like I was talking to Sydney Yeager recently. She was reading this book about this whole imposter syndrome and feeling like you're you know, like what do you have any ideas about? Well
1: that? the imposter syndrome is often just a woman's issue, right? <laughs> I mean sometimes women, no matter how accomplished they are, there's always that in the back of their mind. And it's not just women, but I I do think it plagues women. Um well, I think people make fun of artists or they like we'll say artiste or there or someone that's I mean, there's just stereotypes that just kind of come to mind that don't you might not say about a banker or a lawyer or a tech guy you know or tech mm-hmm. woman <laughs> so I think it because it's an a, it, it's an assertion and and also again going back to being in the culture that we are in if you get a lot of negative feedback sometimes you're gonna absorb some of that mm-hmm. I didn't hear what what did Sydney think that she
0: she was just reading a she oh, was about reading a book about, about it, that. And yeah. she said that, I mean, we were talking about how maybe that is a way to stay motivated. But, you know, for her, it's just like hard to totally embrace that she's arrived at some level of skill that she's comfortable with. She has to keep striving for more. So then it's hard to totally own where she's at. I that's guess. an
1: interesting point. yes, i I see that because sometimes people want to know, well, what's next? What's next? You know, it's like, I know there's um, certainly the case with writers, you're like only as good as your next book, (laughs) because your last book, well, that was your last book, you know, so it's tough. So again, a lot of internal uh, discipline, Mm -hmm. mental discipline, to continue to affirm the role of creativity and your voice, your voice in the conversation. So I think that's why artists are so important, uh, because it's a Just a really important point of view and perception in this cacophony that we hear. And so much of what we hear, I mean, especially now, it's really good to bend your ear towards maybe more nuanced, more complicated, more complex murmurings and conversations um, about issues that artists are giving us.
0: Do you work directly with a lot of the artists? I'm just kind of wondering what things that you see them struggling with or what kind of advice that you find yourself giving them to be most helpful, if any?
1: Well, they're in all stages of their careers here. Um, I mean, we have people that, artists that, this this is their first solo show, and then there's people here that have been in museums and they're in their 60s and 70s. They've had many shows. So people are different places in their careers. I feel like maybe because of of this this kind of support system that we try to provide that it's it's usually really positive. Yeah. it's usually like they're in the moment like they're in the moment they have a week to get this in the gallery and yeah and sometimes things break or things aren't quite finished or this didn't quite work and so there's a lot of last minute energy (laughs) yeah, (laughs) panic Uh, so i mean there are those moments but um so i think it's more there it's not that there aren't existential questions that are raised but often in this moment it's about the show and about this work and about it being the best it can be and so but we've had i mean i have had a lot of discussions um and again it's i think it's a it's a challenge it's hard but i think it's really rewarding it can be Um, I worked briefly as a bank well three years as a banker in New York and I learned a lot about banking I learned a lot about finance I learned a lot about deals and all of that was really interesting but it was not something that I could have done for my whole life so it's always good to think about that there are other careers that people are going to thrive in but maybe that's not the career that you're going to thrive in and so a lot of artists can say well this is this is my career and I'm gonna this is my work yeah maybe career is a tough thing to put on there because then again it's, it's it's the whole notion of progression and development and achievement can be difficult because sometimes it's more valley and mountain mm-hmm. or or more plateau I you know just depends
0: yeah you're talking about being an artist yes 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 yeah, yeah. okay is there anything on your notes that you uh, wanted to touch on I don't
1: know if I even um, mm-hmm. I guess I want everybody we have a new show every six weeks and the shows are very different show to show and so often people will come in and, and, and it will be entirely different from what they saw before in medium and tone and affect. So we really want people to come again. If they if they see something well, I just don't like that, then they should come again in six weeks and see something very different.
0: Yeah. So And it is very different. Yes. Every show is very different. Yes, exactly. I
1: really like that. What else do we need to, to encourage people to support artists by art? Go see artists work of all kinds. I think it's really good.
0: I agree. That's what I would hope would come out of this podcast if people that aren't Austin artists listen to it, <laughs> which I think right. most of them are. But um...
1: well, also, I mean, like, I mean, just looking, if we look at women in their work, like we got, we got national recognition. Probably the level of national recognition exceeded local. Recognition, local understanding, like to be the first to get a grant from the NEA. We we had a six minute piece on National Public Radio on Morning Edition on a play that we presented. We were in Art in America. We were in Art Forum. We were, you know, in the Canadian broadcast. So it's it's people. So when you do that, I mean, you know that you're on to something. You know you're in the right business, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That things are good. But you just want people here to know that. Yeah. To, to know. So, with so many people moving into Austin, that challenge has increased. Yeah. So, that's something we're really wor- working on and wanting to extend our audience to so many new people to Austin that don't know. Do
0: you have any ideas?
1: Well, there's this thing called the, the social media. <laughs>
0: oh, yeah. Oh, that. <laughs>
1: yes, that. <laughs> so, I think that seems to be where it's at. So, yeah. so we are active on Instagram and Facebook and. Twitter and our website and all those things, which, which I think help. And then we actually, for, we have this event, this, this red dot coming up. We have a banner across Lamar Street. So yeah. people okay. can, so there's old fashioned ways oh, uh, right. <laughs> of just putting a banner on the street. <laughs> we send out postcards, but I mean, any and all ways. But I do think actually social media is uh, really great because people can like get it right, right away, you know, get it late and still respond. We're back Back in the day, you know, you had to have X weeks to print something, and then it had to be mailed, and then you didn't know when it arrived and all of that. So, this, you can put it on Facebook, and people know right away. Mm -hmm. So, that helps, I think.
0: So, maybe looking forward, maybe you could just talk about the future of women and their work, this definitely struggle of having to find a new space. Like, what… what does it look like
1: well we are on it we are looking for a new space we have gone and looked at a number of buildings we're we're hoping to buy a building just because the rent have gotten so very high um, and rent is something people don't see and don't really think about paying for you know it's kind of like having tires on your car <laughs> yeah. they just need to be there and they need to work so and then you might see what the car is doing so so we feel like that would be something that if we if, at some point the rents start to kill you and yeah. we're worried about that and also if we owned a building we would not have to pay property tax because we're a nonprofit and right now we pay over $25,000 a year in property tax because we rent so we you know that's passed on to us as renters mm. so it's really a good thing to do as a nonprofit to invest and and all all the larger organizations own. almost all of them own their own spaces so yeah. I think it's a wise thing to do so we are looking
0: I guess the trick is getting something that's in as Affordable. good a spot as here
1: <laughs> Yes that's true Yes. We are in a very good spot. And we'll be here until the end of twenty twenty. So we encourage everybody we're right really close to UT and close to downtown. So it's a it's a good good place to be.
0: Yeah, what's the address?
1: Seventeen ten Lavaca. It's right off of uh, MLK in Guadalupe.
0: Well yeah, I would highly encourage everyone to come visit the gallery to get a ticket for the Red Dot Art Spree if it's still uh,
1: yeah, well, that's possible. That's that's the 12th of September. And if you can't come, it's a party and there's no taxes on any sales that day. So that's it, a party and that's a ticketed event. But then it's up for 10 more days and it's free and you can come in and just look. And th- all that art will be for sale still. So mm-hmm. come on by. And, and uh, the money
0: raised during that event it, just it, goes into supports, all the programs yes, you're doing. Yes,
1: and education programs as well. So yeah. we, we really forefront that to artist fees and and education.
0: What else can people do to support you?
1: We are we have a membership. Uh, you can go at womenandtheirwork.org, go to our website. We have memberships, we have these two big special events. Um, sometimes people just send in money in the mail. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's possible too. Right. So, any, and, and also you support us by coming. I think it's important for people to see what we're presenting. So, just coming is supporting us, mm-hmm. coming to our exhibitions and performances. So, we encourage that.
0: Yeah. Was there anything else you'd like to share?
1: I think, um, this is really wonderful to have podcasts about art and artists, and I really encourage people to go out and see some art Yeah, as soon as they can.
0: Nice. And as often as they can. Exactly. And keep an open mind. Keep an
1: open mind and enjoy. Enjoy. There's joy in art.
0: And if you're inspired to put in the work to kind of go deeper, then all the better. Yes,
1: right? and you have just a different experience. Yeah. But but uh, first, first glance is, is a valid and, and good experience.
0: Yeah. Nice. Well, thank you, Chris. Okay, thank you. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. One more thing before you go. If this episode or any other I've produced have helped you or added value to your life, please support the podcast so it can continue and grow. Just go to austinarttalk.com forward slash support. There you can find a link to my Patreon page and there is also a PayPal option and an Amazon affiliate link. I couldn't keep doing this without your help. All the best to you and take care.